The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, I only confidently have good control of my diabetes because I've had so many highs and so many lows. Mm. That's how you learn, by yeah. doing things wrong, taking something from it, learning something from it, trying again. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. I hope you're well. Thank you for joining us. Graham, thank you for joining me again. I feel like I haven't spoken to you in a while. I know, it feels like a long time, doesn't it? I think between me being on holidays and then you took a little break as well and you had a couple of guests on before, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on the podcast, but it is good to be back. Felt slightly lost without you, Graham. Didn't, didn't know what to do. <laughs> no, I think you're, you're doing okay without me, Owen. You don't have to worry about me. You're all do you know what was good, actually? Last episode, when we were highlighting previous episodes that mm. we'd done, and I was kind of even just doing a mental recap of particularly Sebastian and Brandon. Mm. Their two stories were just mind-blowing. Anytime I think about them, it's just insane. I'll never forget when I sat down to edit Brandon's. I was crying, tears in my eyes. His story is phenomenal. Oh, like the amount of stuff that he's been through and mm. to get to a place where he is right now today and he's so positive and his outlook in life is so good. He's such an inspiration. And you know, when you might feel, wake up someday, you might feel, oh, I've got a headache. I don't know if I'm feeling it today. And then you hear of someone else's story yeah. like that and what they've How dare I complain? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, I actually, Brandon is probably top three of my favorite, 100%, if not top two. I really yeah. enjoyed, one of my, do you know what my favorite episodes is? Top, name gone on top of my head. But the, your mate that was in college with you, Gallagher? Danny Gallagher. Danny Gallagher, couldn't think of his first yeah. name. Danny, I love his story because he's so unassuming. And just the story of him taking the mick out of you in college and having diabetes. <laughs> yeah. And then what comes around goes around, baby. Exactly. Sure, still to this day, I always slag him saying, when we were in college, obviously I'd be checking my blood sugar, taking my insulin before food and stuff. 
and he'd be like, ah, my pancreas works the way it should do and, and all this. So I'm still slagging him saying, yeah, look, comes around, comes around. Not well, what anymore, go, what, what's the expression goes around? I think I said it wrong as well and I was hoping we'd pass <laughs> over it and then I heard you say it wrong. I go, oh God, both of us said it wrong. I always just think of that Justin Timberlake song. What goes around, goes around, goes around. I was actually anyway, thinking about that last <laughs> because I heard that uh, MTV was 40 years old and they were talking about the favourite music videos on MTV over the past 40 years and that's one of my favourite music videos what goes around 40 but, years yeah no way first song Video Kill the Radio Star by the Bugles this is a full fact for you oh yeah right enough of our singing we don't want to pollute the people's ears let's get stuck in we go into it talk about yeah. a few emails from mm. the people the listeners <laughs> of the Insulone podcast. We'll jump straight in with an email from Olivia. Subjected training and staying in range. And Olivia says, Hi Owen, as a parent of a newly diagnosed 11-year-old type 1 diabetic, we think your podcast is wonderful. We both listen and it's really helping us educate ourselves on how to manage diabetes. Emma has returned to sport and we are hitting the lows a few hours after. So we are now going to reduce the insulin in the meal after training. So hopefully that will help. Our question is, and I know you can only tell us what works for you, but how high would you need to be before training to be able to train and still keep within range for a reasonable amount of time? Our range is 4.5 to 7.5, which I find very narrow with drops and rises of over one every five minutes at a time. We are finding we are yo-yoing a lot and not much in range. Any opinion will be appreciated. Keep up the good work. That is from Olivia saying, P.S. I listen on Spotify, so can't rate, etc. And as we always say, uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, they do give you the function to rate. Do give us a rate because it will help other people find <laughs> yeah. the podcast. And give us a five-star rating, even if you don't think it's five-star. Even if you hate the podcast, if give us five. Hate it, yeah. five <laughs> if you hate the podcast, five actually is the lowest score. Uh, so exactly. you keep hitting that five-star. So Owen, what do we reckon of Olivia's email? Well, firstly, as always, thank you, Olivia and Emma, for getting in touch and particularly for listening to the podcast. I always appreciate it. But there's a couple, well, there's good questions in there because I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are obviously conscious of the exercise that they're doing and how to go about it to keep healthy and keep blood sugars in range. And I love how Olivia says, I know I can only tell from my experience and what works for me because that's what I'm doing on the podcast. This isn't advice for you. She definitely listens. Olivia listens. Attentively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the first thing that I want to touch on with that email is reducing your insulin post exercise. So reducing your insulin with the meal you have after you exercise. So for me, because I know from my experience and I'm talking specifically with say longer cardio sort of sessions, like playing sport or going out for a run or whatever it might be. I know that my bloods are always inclined to drop. Depending on how long I'm going out for, I'm probably going to drop during and after at some stage. Because as we know, the more we're exercising, the more we're moving, the more inclined it is, or the more inclined our bloods are to, to be lower because we're using up that glucose as energy. But what I do is when I finish, let's say, for example, I finish a long run, I know that my bloods are probably going to come down relatively low. So what I do for that post-exercise meal, I will generally try not to take any insulin at all. Now, I do that by having primarily 
a protein or fat meal. So vast majority of the time, I'm not going to need much insulin for protein or fat if it's just by themselves. So for me, if I have little to no carbohydrate with that meal, it kind of takes out the complication of trying to understand how much should I take and how much should I reduce it by or whatever it might be. And I just feel that if my bloods can be slightly unpredictable at that time following the workout, it's easier for me personally to try and just avoid insulin for the next even two, three, maybe four hours to see what direction my bloods are going. Now, if I am having a higher carb meal or I can't just have protein or fat for whatever reason, say I'm having lunch out or whatever it is, I will always try and reduce my insulin dose for that meal by about 20 to even 50%, depending on the exercise. So if I'm doing weights, my blood sugars will probably rise. But because I'm specifically talking about like running and my blood's dropping, if I'm having carbohydrate with that post-exercise meal, I will potentially reduce my insulin dose by 20 to 50%. Okay. So to put that, to, to use an example, let's say I'm eating 50 grams of carbs and my insulin to carb ratio is, let's say it's one to 10. It's actually one to 30. I'm super insulin sensitive. But for example's sake, if it's one to 10, I will reduce by one, two, even three units, depending on where I feel my bloods are going. Okay. Then what was the other thing she asked? About going in high training. Oh yeah. So ideally my blood sugar throughout the day, I want to keep it between say four to seven or eight millimoles per liter. So that's 126 to 144 milligrams for anyone listening in the States or or wherever you use it. So ideally, that's the range I always want to be in just kind of day to day. But I know, like I said, with exercise and primarily like running or sport or whatever it might be, my bloods are inevitably going to come down. So going into exercise that I know is going to bring my bloods down, I'm always more confident having my bloods slightly higher. So instead of going into my ideal, instead of going into exercise with my ideal range of say four to seven, I will happily go into that exercise being say nine, 10, maybe even 11, depending on how long I I plan on exercising for. Now with that, I'll also try and, well, depending on time. Now, most of the time I will train or work out first thing in the morning. So I will always aim to have little to no fast acting insulin in my system at the time. Because I I know from from plenty of different times and, and experiences that if I have pretty much any fast-acting insulin on board, I'm going to drop. And like I said, I'm really sensitive to insulin. So if I have any in my system, I'm probably going to drop quite quickly. So ideally, I try and have little to no insulin on board. So if you have little to no fast-acting insulin on board in your system, it greatly reduces the chances of you dropping while you're exercising. So if I'm going into a run 
or if Olivia and Emma are going into sport, let's say they're playing a football game or whatever it might be. If I'm going into a football game with little to no insulin on board and my bloods are slightly higher than I would like, I know that I'm pretty confidently going to stay stable throughout. Now, with that, of course, it's important that I try and keep an eye on my bloods when I can. And depending on the length of the exercise, I'll probably need a bit of a top up with a couple of glucose tablets yeah. or whatever it is. Perfect. Okay, so we're back. So there was a <laughs> there was a slight issue with the microphone there and my microphone, and um, we we weren't able to figure it out at the beginning, and then we decked during the first email from Olivia that there was something up on my microphone. But we're back now on a new recording, and with the magic of editing, you won't even know. It'll be if, a slip. If anybody's together, listening who would like to be together. a producer of a podcast. Please get in touch with me personally because <laughs> Graham's out. <laughs> I'm done. I'm finished. We're back. Okay, well, we'll move on to email number two from Alan Edwards. And Alan says, hi, Owen and Graham. I was listening to episode 64 and I heard that you split a bolus into three separate injections for pizza. I wondered how you determine how many splits to use and the timing to use between them. I've been experimenting with splitting my bolus when difficult items are on the menu. Sometimes I just feel like eating something like pizza, but consuming any kind of bread is like mainlining pure sugar. So I've split my bolus into two when I eat some food with bread, but I can still get a pretty good spike. So I'm still working on my experiment. I'm also still working on being consistent with my pre-bolus injections. I take Novolog and I don't know if it's exactly like Novorapid, but I've been using 15 minutes before eating as a pre-bolus time. I think the microprint prescribing information they include in the Novolog FlexPen box says at least 10 minutes before a meal. Thanks for the podcast. I've learned a lot and really enjoy all that I've learned. Thank you. That's from Alan. So what are we saying on? That's a great email. And strangely enough, I only had a pizza last night. So it's quite <gasps> it's quite fitting into this episode of the podcast. Did you get chicken wings what? as well? Oh, don't even talk to me. A bad dose of chicken wings <laughs> during the week. I'm not going to go into great detail, but... Um, Does the end up in the toilet? Yeah, but not both ends. <laughs> not both ends. <laughs> nah, I won't go into too much detail, but we're past that. Look, we're talking about pizza now, Graham, all right? Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. But for- <laughs> firstly, Alan, thank you for reaching out. As always, I appreciate when people get in touch and listen to the podcast. So again, great questions and definitely a topic that a lot of people will struggle with. So anybody listening to this podcast who has had like takeaway food, Chinese, pizza, Indian, whatever it might be, knows how much of a pain that can be. Because what happens is you get your meal, you carb count or you guess, whatever it is, you take your insulin, you eat the meal, your blood sugars drop, you treat the low, and then for hours afterwards your blood sugars just continue to climb and you've no idea what's going on basically that is called the pizza effect so quite fitting that pizza can cause so much difficulty with bloods but basically what happens is because there's such a high fat content generally with those type of meals the fat's going to completely slow down digestion leading to that delayed spike so how I bolus and how most people likely who are diabetic eating pizza and those kind of foods will need to bolus for those types of meals is very different to a normal meal. 
a quote unquote normal meal. So how I go about my pizza is just like Alan said, I touched on it briefly in episode 64, is I split my insulin dose into three to counteract that delayed spike. So instead of taking one dose before my food and eating the pizza, I have split it into three to again to counteract that spike. Now, like Alan said, it's difficult to kind of get it spot on. So it's trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, as we constantly preach on this podcast. You likely won't get something like this spot on first time around. It's about doing it, seeing the results, tweaking it, trying it again. So I thankfully have perfected how to bolus for the type of pizza that I get. So how I go about it is I have determined that my total, and I'll kind of briefly take you through my strategy for this, my total insulin dose that I'll take for said pizza is 12 units. So instead of taking that 12 units all in one go before my pizza, I split it into three doses of four. So totaling 12. My first four units is 15 minutes before I eat. That's just like a regular pre-bolus for myself. I'll eat the pizza. I'll be present while I'm eating it and really enjoy it because it's rare to come by. (laughs) I'll set a timer after I finish the pizza for two hours. Two hours after I finish, I'll take the next four units to counteract that delayed spike. When I take those four units, I'll set another two-year, two-year, two-hour, <laughs> two-year, that'd be a long bolus, yeah. two-hour timer. Oh, what was this alarm for again? <laughs> yeah, there's been a cure since. Um, so a two-hour timer after the second dose, And then at the end, another four unit dose. So totaling in 12, three doses of four units over a four hour period. So you said you use 12 units across the three, four, four and four. Did you Mm. used to do six and six and then you figured out that didn't work for you? Yeah. So I initially, see, I obviously learned the hard way, like most people listening, where you try something different, doesn't work, you probably go low or you go really high. Yeah. And I've said numerous times before that I only confidently have good control of my diabetes because I've had so many highs and so many mm. lows. That's how you learn, by yeah. doing things wrong, taking something from it, learning something from it, trying again. So I initially would try it with one dose, inevitably would plummet, then continue to rise for the night. Then I split it into two sixes, similar enough result, but a bit better. And then I was like, wait a second, let me try three. Three. (laughs) 33. 33. So I I tried three doses over that two, four hour period because I knew that with the two sixes, I was still getting that delayed spike. But I knew that the initial 12 doses was pretty spot on yeah but it was just about the timing yeah and not that obviously that two hour window and three split dose would work for everybody but it's just to give you an idea of what may be required for those sorts of meals Mm. because me having say just like 
chicken and potatoes for dinner is, is very different to me eating a pizza. It's not that we can't eat it. It's just about finding a, a fitting strategy for it. Alan also briefly touched there on his pre-bolus times and how he's kind of still playing around with those. Whoever might not know what a pre-bolus is, basically a pre-bolus is just taking your insulin before your food. Because vast majority of the time, the insulin that we take, the quote-unquote fast or rapid-acting insulin, isn't quite as fast or rapid-acting as you might think. Mm-hmm. So the chances are the food we eat is going to spike our bloods quicker than the insulin brings it back down. So a pre-bolus is to give your insulin that bit of time to kind of get kicking, get moving in your system to hopefully pull your bloods down the same time as your food is spiking it up. So to kind of try and keep you as stable as possible. Yeah. Now, a pre-bolus can depend on person to person, the type of insulin that you take and the type of food that you're eating. Just like I was touching there with with the pizza, it's very different to regular foods. So because I have done so much trial and error with my own management, I take Nova Rapid. The onset time of Nova Rapid is generally about 15 minutes. I know that if I take my insulin 15 minutes before my food, it's probably going to keep me pretty stable, given my carb count is accurate too. Now, there's no major issues if you're seeing your blood sugar spike after food. A, pro- a postprandial spike, like post-meal spike, it's kind of supposed to happen anyway. But if you are somebody who even makes the transition from a finger prick monitor to a CGM, it can be quite intimidating because with a finger prick, ignorance is bliss. You don't see the graph all the time. You don't see these spikes happening. What can happen is you take your insulin, eat your food, and you check your blood sugar two hours later, and it's already settled. Whereas if you have a CGM, and if you have one that's kind of giving you alarms if you're high, if you're getting those post-meal spikes, it can really put you off because you're like, I took my insulin. I have an accurate carb count. Why is my blood sugar spiking? Vast majority of the time, that will be as a result of your insulin timing. So if you're seeing your blood sugar spike really high, but coming back down, it proves that your insulin dose is probably pretty accurate. You just might need to pull back that insulin timing. Now, again, no major issues if you see those spikes. Those sort of spikes can bring their own problems because you can react to them. So if you are somebody who takes your insulin or does your carb count, takes your insulin, eats your food, and you still see that spike and you're like, why am I spiking? I've taken my insulin, I've done my carb count, why am I spiking? You can then react to that, doubt your initial dose, take more insulin, and then inevitably plummet down the other side. So your insulin timing, if you look at that in more detail, particularly if you have a CGM, it can take a lot of the, I suppose, blood sugar reacting out of it as best we can. I suppose, though, if I wore a CGM, I would see a spike as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it would just take time for my pancreas to secrete insulin to counteract it. So yeah, of course. it's natural. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want anybody to be under the impression that your, your blood sugar has to be flatlined all the time. That's just unrealistic. 
Like, it, you, you can't, nobody's blood sugar is like that. But if we have the ability to keep ourselves in range as often as we can, it's always a good idea to do that because our time and range will directly influence, you know, like how we feel, our quality of life each day. And everybody wants to avoid highs and lows as much as they can. I hope you picked up some good tips there, Alan. I will move on to email number three and entitled newly diagnosed with LADA. And that is from Tracy Kilborn. And Tracy says, hello, I've just found your podcast and was amazed by Maya's story. Really inspiring. Thank you. I've been diagnosed with LADA eight weeks ago. I'm a nurse and have been working in a COVID ICU. So put the symptoms down to stress. I look forward to becoming a regular listener. And that is from Tracy Kilburn. So um, I was going to call you Nathan, which is my radio partner, Owen. Don't you dare. Uh, two very <laughs> different people. <laughs> I love Nathan. I'm only joking. Owen, what is LADA? Well, firstly, Graham, let me thank Tracy for getting in touch. Yeah. Hope she's keeping well. I'm sure it's been a crazy eight weeks up to this point. But for anyone who doesn't know what LADA is, basically it's latent autoimmune diabetes of adulthood. So latent, meaning a slower onset, similar enough to type 2 diabetes. Okay. So generally it's considered another form of type 1 diabetes that develops later into adulthood and is sometimes referred to as type 1.5 diabetes. Okay. It has similarities to type 1 and type 2. And because it develops over a slower, longer period, it can often be misdiagnosed for type mm. 2. And as well, because you, you will generally get LADA or LADA, however you want to pronounce it, later in life, say like 30 plus years. But again, like most things, as we know, <laughs> with diabetes, it can be unpredictable. But it doesn't always require medication or treatment straight away. A lot of people might say go on like an oral medic medication like metformin or something like that. But insulin will almost certainly be required at some point in the future. It's almost like you can transition from later to then type one. Whereas with type one, it's like, boom, flick of a switch, a space of a few days, potentially even a few weeks. But type two and ladder can be over a much longer period. Okay. Is it really interesting that Tracy referenced Maya's episode? Because our next email and the last email of this episode is from Maya's mum, Sarah. So let's have a listen to this. I'm dying to read this one to your own. So Sarah said, just wanted to thank you and say how much I enjoyed listening to yourself and my daughter Maya. It feels like I know you as during last summer, I listened to podcasts with Maya, usually on journeys up and down to London. I remember leaving her on her own in her empty student house before her internship and her saying casually, can I ring her each morning to check she hadn't died in her sleep? That was when she was in her over-fact hunting stage about diabetes. I said to make a joke that would be more likely her battery would be dead and not her if she didn't answer. Inside, I remember thinking how scary it must have been for her. I did phone her each morning for maybe a week and then we realised that it was going to be okay. We've been really proud of how she's been so positive and how she hasn't allowed it stop her achieving great things. 
just the other day when we were chatting on the phone and she was feeling a little bit down about something unrelated to diabetes, I suggested she put one of your podcasts on as the energy and positivity you create rubs off on people. She said straight away what a great idea that was. Anyway, thank you again and all the best for the future, Owen. That is kind regards from Sarah Kearney. There we go. Well, that was unreal. What a lovely email to receive from a mum of a guest on the Insulone podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for even taking the time to send that email. And I think I had touched on it previously before, but when emails like that come in, it's a big booster personally to kind of keep it going with the podcast to know that obviously people are benefiting from it, which is amazing. But Maya's episode is one of the most referred to. I've probably got more messages about Maya's episode than any other one. Okay. Because how she spoke like so confidently and so positively about not just getting type one, but basically being diagnosed with COVID at the same time, essentially. Mm. And I even remember when I was interviewing her, when we, when we had her on the the podcast, I was thinking like, it felt as if I was speaking to somebody who's had diabetes for 20 years. I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe when I was listening. And when I was listening back for the first time, I remember messaging you during it going, this girl knows so much and so yeah. confident. It was amazing. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And it was it was so evident that Maya had done so much research herself already. Because yeah. she already knew so much. And she was already so confident in the fact that it wouldn't stop her from doing what she wants to do. She yeah. moved to London, is an investment banker, <laughs> doing all these great things. <laughs> and I remember even when I was doing the outro to that episode... I said specifically to Maya's parents, kind of just speaking to them through the podcast, I said, you have absolutely nothing to worry about because how she spoke about diabetes, she was already on a podcast talking about it was amazing. And as I said, it was as if she had diabetes for 20 years. And it's really nice to hear people speak so confidently of it, despite being diagnosed so recently. So I hope Maya's listened to this episode. Thank you again for coming on. And I know that even though you've only had it for a very, very short space of time, there's a lot of people out there who have already been inspired by it. So thank you, Maya. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. And if you do want to listen to that one, maybe you're just dipping into this episode and you're like, I like the sound of this girl. It's episode number 65. And just looking at the title of it, being diagnosed with COVID-19 and type 1 diabetes at the same time. And it's not even just the illness, it's just everything that surrounds it as well with access to healthcare as well was pulled back because of COVID. So it's such an incredible story and she's amazing as well. So episode yeah. number 65, if you want and to I, listen to that one. And I think even us talking about it now, Graham, doesn't, doesn't really do the story justice. Oh, no, no, no. The same with Brandon and Sebastian. and. All the guests that we've yeah, had, everyone has a great When story. you hear their story from them, it kind of just hits you differently. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for tuning in. We, of course, love hearing what you have to say about type 1 diabetes. If you have a question for Owen or if you want to share anything, the email address is theintelownpodcast at gmail.com. Actually, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or any of the apps, if you just go into the description, 
of the episode and you click the link, it'll bring you directly to whatever email service you use. And then you can email us directly through that. So just click on the link of the Insulone podcast at gmail.com. Makes it so much easier to send us a mail. Um, and Owen, thank you as always. Thank you, Graham. And again, thank you to anyone from this episode who's emailed. We love getting the emails in. The stories and the questions and the experiences that you share make it a very special podcast, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, if you're listening, you have a story, you have a question, you have an experience you want to share, do not hesitate to reach out. We love hearing them. And share with your friends, share with your family, share with your pets. The more people that listen, yeah. the better. Have a good day. Have a good week. Look after those bloods and we will chat to you soon. Take it easy, man. Bye.